attorney Vincent Davis, and you're on the radio show, Get Your Kids Back Now. This show is dedicated to keeping families together and to fighting the tyranny of CPS and DCFS social workers. A secondary purpose of this show is to educate parents and relatives, or to at least show them where to get the necessary information for their fight. The final purpose of the show is to remind people that change can be effectuated at the ballot box at the state and federal levels. Let us unite, vote, and elect those who will make the necessary changes. Good morning. It's September 24th, 2016. I'm broadcasting this morning from Marina del Rey, California. I'm down in Marina del Rey area today. Um, Later on this afternoon, I'll be taking a seminar, uh, a trial lawyer seminar, uh, through an organization called the Trojan Horse Method. It's a uh, seminar which is sort of an offshoot of the Jerry Spence Trial Lawyers College. And it's a, um, the founders of this particular organization, uh, Daniel Ambrose and Alejandro Blanco, are two national, um, extraordinary national trial attorneys, trial lawyers. And uh, they are sharing with plaintiff's attorneys and with criminal defense attorneys um, how to beat the government and how to beat uh, large corporations and insurance companies. I'm interested, of course, in this. Uh, My practice focuses in uh, a lot of plaintiff areas and criminal defense. And uh, lately, we've been doing a lot of cases, or a lot more cases of um, uh, civil rights cases against uh, county social workers and uh, uh, the county uh, who employs these social workers. Um, The abuse uh, by social workers um, has been growing over the years, um, and uh, it's growing at an alarming rate. Um, I've been doing, I've been a lawyer this December for about, uh, this December, 30 years, and um, 27 of those years um, have been dedicated primarily, not only, but primarily to representing people in the juvenile dependency courts. And um, I many, many years ago, uh, was involved in civil civil litigation against the county social workers and the counties. And uh, it's something that I had gotten away from, but I'm um, now getting back to it, uh, thanks to an attorney um, by the name of uh, Sean McMillan. Uh, Sean is an attorney from uh, San Diego, California. And a couple of years ago, he he referred me a case And I represented a woman in the uh, federal court here in Los Angeles. And uh, it just brought me back to all of the abuses uh, that, uh, you know, some social workers, um, you know, partake in. Uh, And I'm not saying that all social workers are bad. I'm not saying that there's no child abuse. Um, But there are uh, things that are wrong in our system. And there are social workers who, you know, it seems like they don't just make mistakes. Things are done intentionally uh, to try to um, break up families. And, uh, you know, a lot of it's based upon um, money uh, discrimination. And, uh, it, you know, it's an area of law that I find uh, um, 
satisfying to help people um, get redress from social workers and from counties when their rights, especially their civil rights, are violated. Um, one of the things, other things I wanted to talk about this uh, morning, um, got a lot of uh, emails, and the people have asked me to, you know, throughout the show, give tips on representing, um, not representing yourself, but helping your your attorney represent you in the juvenile court system, the juvenile dependency court system. So I will uh, be talking about that this morning. And as a matter of fact, I want to start out uh, with sort of where we left off last week, and that is uh, defending a person at what's called the jurisdictional and dispositional hearing. Um, in a lot of courts, those are called the juris and dispo hearings. Now, it's very important because in a lot of cases, parents go to juvenile court and um, at the jurisdictional and dispositional hearing or at the hearing prior to that, which is called um, a juris or a jurisdictional hearing just by itself or the receipt of report date, um, a lot of parents are convinced by their attorneys um, to plead no contest or to submit to the petition and submit to jurisdiction. And I'm not saying that's the wrong thing to do in every case. You know, each case is different. It has its own complexities. It has its own, um, you know, from the parent standpoint, positive and negatives. Uh, and it depends on what the parent wants to do. And um, uh, I ran into an old client uh, this week, and I remember um, doing her trial, and, and, and we lost the trial. And um, there are many reasons I think that happened. Um, but I remember trying to convince my client uh, at one point in the case to plead no contest because I thought she'd get a better deal. Um, my advice was based upon uh, the negativity that I felt from the social workers, from the county council, from the minor's attorney, from the father's attorney. And, you know, I just had a feeling that the judge wasn't going to go our way. And I tried to work out a deal for her, and um, she, of course, stood strong and stood by her principles, and um, she didn't take the deal. We went to trial, and uh, we did not win in that case. So I'm not telling you never take a deal. That's not what I'm telling you. I'm telling you that if you want to go forward with a trial, and um, I'm going to give you some tips today on how to do that. The first tip is, number one, you have to meet or at least talk to your attorney before the trial date um, because many things have to be uh, um, decided and planned. I was having dinner last night with uh, an attorney in my office and one of uh, her clients, and one of the things that we were talking about was standardizing uh, the defense practice in our office to a certain extent. And, you know, certain things should be done on every case. And uh, the extent and nature of what you actually do, uh, it, you know, varies from case to case, varies from attorney to attorney, varies from, you know, who the prosecuting county counsel is, depends on who the judge may be. You know, sometimes you, you know a sense of how a judge likes to see your trial presented, how, what they don't like. And those are all things that you should take into consideration. But on every case, the following should be done. Number one, before the meeting with the attorney, you and the attorney should 
review all of the reports by the social worker. And generally, those reports are going to be the detention report, the jurisdictional and dispositional report, and perhaps some last-minute or addendums. And the best way to do that is to, in a chart form, I think, um, line up on the left-hand side of the chart all of the allegations or the important allegations that are, to be, that are being made against you. And on the right hand, show um, what the actual fact is. If it, you know, sometimes the facts are true, sometimes they're not true. And if they're not true, you should make a list in this chart of what evidence there is um, that can rebut the social worker's claims. And at the end of making this chart, which is really a list as well, you know what witnesses you have to subpoena to court. You know what documents you have to use in court. And that way you can develop a working uh, witness list and a working exhibit list. But it's going to take time. Um, last night I happened to see uh, one of these charts developed actually by a client. Um, and I was looking at it, and I thought, what a great idea on how to prepare for a trial. And uh, it was just, you know, kind of a common sense non-lawyer thing that a client developed on her own. So that's the first thing that you have to do. The next thing that you're going to have to do is you're going to have to talk to your uh, attorney about subpoenaing these witnesses and these um, documents uh, from, you know, different places so that these people and these documents can show up in court. In this particular document, a lot of the witnesses are from going to be hospital personnel, and a lot of the records are going to be hospital personnel. So those documents have to subpoena, be subpoenaed in time before you come to court uh, so that they can show up and be in court when the trial begins. So that's the two most important things, or three most important things that I think you should do in preparation for your trial. Don't forget, in most courts today, the court does the jurisdictional hearing and the dispositional hearing at the same time. But you must remember, those are two separate hearings with different tests, legal tests that the social worker has to prove, and they, there are different burdens of proof that the social worker has to meet. Um, so. You know, sometimes I get the feeling that a feeling that attorneys and sometimes juvenile court judges um, think that those two hearings are the same. They are not the same. They're just done at the same time. I remember in the very old days, those two hearings were done separately, um, and it was you know kind of a bizarre and unusual thing for you to do them at the same time, because they are two distinct, different hearings. And uh, I remember, you know, over the years that courts started doing those two hearings together. And I can remember San Bernardino was one of the first courts I practiced in when they started doing it together. And uh, L.A. was doing them separately. But then over time, L.A. started doing those cases together or those types of hearings together. And now it's just the norm. Um, I believe there is a case in California, California Supreme Court case, that says it is constitutional to do those cases together, and it doesn't violate the uh, the parents' rights. Um, personally, disagree. I know that there is a significant difference. It's you know very difficult for the judge, in my opinion, to keep everything um, 
separated and applying the right burdens. Um, but the Supreme Court of California said that no, judges can do that. Uh, they're skilled and, um, you know, uh, they can do that to save time. So that's how things are done now in, in Los Angeles County and San Bernardino and Riverside. And, and as a matter of fact, in most counties that I've practiced in, from Shasta County in, in the north to San Diego County in the south, um, I'm going to stop right there. We'll get back to our tips for doing trials, uh, the adjudication and disposition hearing. But I'm going to take our first call. It's from area code 562, ending in 48. Good morning. You're on with Attorney Vincent Davis. Good morning, Mr. Davis. This is Daniel. How are you doing today? Good morning, sir. Did you call in to share a story or ask some questions? I am calling in to share a story. To start with, you know, I worked many years with my father, and he always instilled good family values, good moral values, good good, uh, work ethics. And, you know, we, we were together over 30 years working together. And he got cancer and got sick, and he was in my home for four years, and I took care of him. So on February the 12th, 2014, he finally passed away. And 10 days later, my daughter Estelle was born on 2-22-2014. And after about a week, her mom couldn't take care of her. And she asked me, will you take our daughter? I said, yes, I will. So I had my daughter for two weeks. I provided for her. She's got her own room. She she has everything. On... um, March 9th, her mom had gone back into the hospital uh, a couple days before that, either the 7th or 8th, and she had called me and asked, you know, can I bring our daughter to visit with her? And I said, yes. And I arrived there about 9.30 in the morning on March the 9th, and the hospital said, they're having a flu outbreak upstairs. You can't go up there. And it... um, my daughter's mom will be coming down to visit in the uh, waiting room. So as I was waiting, I was approached by a social worker. Her name's Angelica. I'm not going to say the rest of it, but it's funny. I just found her card in my back pocket yesterday. So I know that not to answer too many questions, to be careful what to answer. She started grilling me right away. And my the baby's father. Do I do drugs? I said, I cannot answer your question unless an attorney is present. She said, well, if you don't answer, you can be arrested and we'll take your child. I'm just trying to talk to you to resolve this and uh, so you can go home with your child. So I'm just trying to cooperate with what she's saying. So she's asking me the same questions over and over and over again. Do you use marijuana? Do you use other substances? My answers were all no. I said, I don't even drink alcohol. And she kept going on and on and on. She said, okay, wait here for a minute. So she went to talk to the mother of my child. And she came back downstairs and said, well, I talked to her and she said that you use drugs every day and you drink all the time. Anyone that knows me knows that I do not do that. So anyway, 
I said, I don't do any of that. And she said, well, based on the allegations, the alleged allegations that we have found against you, we're taking your child. And I said, no, you're not. And they said, you fight us and we'll have the police here to arrest you. I said, my rights have been violated. I need an attorney here. But you were saying if we wait for the attorney, then you're going to wait, have to get your attorney things, get real messy, and you're going to take the child from me. Insinuated that it's okay to talk to her and everything would be okay. And I answered all her questions very carefully. Always think before I speak. So that was on, um, <clears throat> again, February, uh, March the 9th, 2014. This was devastating to me because I was still grieving my father's death. My daughter's birth was a little bit of daylight to kind of take my mind off of that. So I contacted DCSF and I had talked to a person and actually this person was head of the adoption department. So I went in to talk to her to find out when can I get a hearing, you know, to resolve this. She sat down with me and she said, your rights are going to be terminated. You will not get your daughter back. And then she read the report to me. I don't know who wrote the report, but it says I'm a substance abuser. I drink. I'm so um, inebriated every day. I can't even care for myself. I don't know where they get this information. She said, your daughter will be adopted out. I said, I want to see my daughter. It took maybe three weeks before I actually got a visit. She said, well, she's with the family in Silmar, which is a two-hour drive from Long Beach, where I live, in traffic. I had to do this on their time, the caregiver's time. Whenever I was able to visit my daughter, the caregiver was calling her her daughter and herself mommy. I didn't say anything because I was trying to keep my mouth shut from what I learned earlier with this social worker. I didn't want to rub any feathers. I was granted three visits, three hours per visit, three times a week. And caregivers said, I'll give you two visits for two hours at a time per week, my time, my schedule. I said, okay, I just wanted to cooperate. So anyway, I uh, requested the social worker right away and also um, told them that my mother and my sister, they don't live together. They got two separate families. Everyone in my mom's household, everyone in my sister's household went and got life scan, fingerprinted, the whole thing right away. And I requested I would like for my daughter to be moved with my family, her family. That would be either my mom or my sister, either one. Oh, yeah, yeah, we'll do that. We'll do that. So it didn't happen. It took 13 months before, fortunately, I was looking on your website and found the Child Welfare Act Section 309 saying the social worker must do their due diligence to place the child with friendly family members. So I printed this out. I went over to the social worker and I handed him a copy of this. And I said, I want my child moved. He said, okay. It took about five days after that. 
Before that, I had asked him several times, and he said, well, you're, you're going to be bringing her home, home soon. Let's just get through the court part of this. And um, this kept stroking me on it. And the whole time, the caregiver was calling her her daughter and that she was mommy. And finally, at the end, I had to tell her, you know what? This is my daughter. I love her very much. I love her with all my heart. This is not your daughter. I'm not trying to upset you. She got extremely angry. She was so mad, uh, she just couldn't control herself. So my daughter got moved to my mom's. And all the time, you know, I was going to record. I had the drug test for five months. I did five months of parenting. I joined Project Fatherhood for two years. Family preservation was for seven months. They asked me to do a 7.30 evaluation with a forensic psychologist all the way up in Studio City, five and a half hour trip. I sat down and did that. When I went to court, they said, oh no, you were too defensive. You're gonna have to take that test again. And I remember talking to my attorney at the time, I said, what is this? Is if I fail this little test, am I not going to get my daughter back? He said, it's just a personality test, nothing to worry about. So they required me to do another 730 evaluation. I did eight months of individual therapy. And I know that my civil rights were violated at the time. I wasn't sure. I'm just a father trying to protect my daughter. And I never got angry with any of them. I talked nicely to them. Um, they just, everything was on assumption with them. I'm also in the entertainment business. I've played some roles of some bad guys in some films. And uh, they sat down with me and told me, you are all over the internet. You've done this and you've done that. I said, yeah, keyword, this is for entertainment. Well, we want to make sure you don't have any bad people in your house around your daughter. I said, okay, well, that's not going to happen. I will protect my child and make sure that she has a good childhood. On December the 18th of 2016, excuse me, of 2015, I had contacted your office. Uh, my previous lawyer, unfortunately, had a heart attack. He called me from New York and said he won't be representing me. He said, I'm okay, but I won't be able to represent you. I got this lady, blah, blah, blah. And I said, okay. Um, I contacted your office because I had found you before, but we were in the middle of this whole thing with this other lawyer. He came in at about 74% his specialties, family law. However, I don't think that he had too much experience in the juvenile dependency court because it seemed to be that he just drug the case out and didn't do what he should have to get my daughter home. I am a non-offending parent. I have four children that I love dearly. This isn't my first child. And I just want them to learn and to be happy and to be safe. And all the time I'm thinking, how are you guys looking out for the best interest of my child? You have her with strangers that have no experience at all with children. 
<clears throat> she broke out in a rash five times. Um, I documented everything since the very beginning, and I found out the reason why <clears throat> she had these rashes because they weren't changing her on a regular basis, and they were not bathing her regularly because they were trying to save money on water. They told me this. So I just um, went along. I didn't get mad at them. I didn't tell them anything. Uh, just that they were doing a good job. And um, they were devastated, of course, when I took my daughter. They wanted to come visit her and this and that. And I said, yeah, sure. But there were so many things that they did to her that was appalling to me. And, and I'm not going to stay on that situation. But, I mean, DCSF doesn't seem to do a lot of homework on these people. Maybe they pass life scans and everything. But when my daughter was one year old, it was time for her to start eating. I witnessed them shoving food down her throat. And she was choking. And they just laughed. <laughs> She's always choking. <clears throat> I said, no, 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 no. She's just a baby. You got food, you cut it the size of an eraser and cut that into four pieces. You feed her little pieces, you know. Since she's been home with me, she's never been sick. She's been with me for over a year. She's never had any of those rashes. She bathes every day. Another incident with the caregivers is I went to pick her up and she needed a diaper change. And I told them, I got to change her diaper. This is at 10 o'clock in the morning. I said, oh, no, no, no. We just changed her at 930. And they had a diaper table right there. I came with my own diaper bag. I have my own supplies. And while she was up there, I bought clothes for supplies for her. I know they were getting paid to take care of it. I want to make sure my daughter's taken care of really good. I put her up there. Sure enough, she needed a change. And the lady looked at me and she said, just laughed and she said, it says right on the diaper box, good for 12 hours. I said, really? I said, would you like to sit in your feces for 12 hours? I said, that's why she has all these rashes. Everything, like I said, was documented. I reported the social worker. He would pacify me. Well, she's going to be coming home soon. You know, pretty soon she's going to be coming back with you or your family. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. And they said he recommended that she come home April 10th of 2015. <clears throat> they wanted me to continue in court. After that's when they had me do the psych evaluation. And right at the very end, when my other lawyer was we went to court before I hired your team, they were going to terminate my rights. And I thought, wow, you mean these classes don't work? You guys wanted me all this stuff. Okay. And now you, you still want to terminate my rights. And thank you, Mr. Davis. God bless you. I'm glad that we got hooked up. And thank you for bringing my daughter home. She's home safe now with me. She's very happy. I have her in preschool. Uh, she's in good care. She has a routine that we follow every day. And I just want to know that thank you so much for your help. And this whole situation right here, somebody really needs a professional. You know, I don't want to go to the McDonald's of the lawyers because that's what you're going to get. I remember in the beginning, I had a public defender, and I have to stop myself from saying public pretender, 
because this guy was not good. He would not look me in the eyes. He took my file. He read it. We went up there, and they read all these allegations that were against me. And I told the guy, this upset me. I said, none of this is true. Oh, you'll get your chance to talk. Two years later, I still didn't get a chance to talk. But thank God I was able to meet you guys and your team and bring my daughter home safely. She has peace of mind. I have peace of mind. When I first got her back, she would have nightmares because of the whole thing that she had been through. My civil rights were violated. Her civil rights were violated. My family's civil rights were violated. When you're in this situation, I'm not a lawyer, so I really don't know what those rights are. From the very beginning, I told Angelica, the social worker, I said, my civil rights are being violated. And you talked me out of bringing a lawyer here because you said my child will be coming home with me. And you turned that whole thing around to go against me. So basically, that's where I am with the whole thing right now. And people do need to know what their rights are. And people need to fight to get the kids back. I know some of the people don't have the money, and that's an excuse. But it's about the children. Do whatever you have to do to get your children home with you. That's basically what I wanted to say, Mr. Davis. If you have any questions, um, let me know. No, Daniel, I want to thank you for your call. And we're going to try to move on to the another segment of the show. Thank you again for calling. Thank you. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Um, right now, I want to share something with the listening audience about um, Child Protective Services. It is an article from um, TMZ, uh, TMZ.com, and it's titled, Chris Brown, Child Services Launch Investigation on Heels of Gun Arrest. As most of you know, Chris Brown is a very famous and successful hip-hop and rap artist uh, who is on the scene for the last few years. He was um, uh, most notably, I guess, um, uh, recognized in the law uh, based upon a arrest he had uh, several years several years ago involving a domestic violence dispute um, with uh, the singer Rihanna, and uh, there was uh, apparently they had a domestic violence incident in uh, in the car that led to his arrest and his criminal prosecution. Uh, and he's been in the news since. But let me read uh, an article by TMZ staff dated September 22, 2016. Uh, it says, Chris refused to speak with investigators. In fact, we're told he wouldn't even let LAPD or DCFS representatives enter his security gate. Chris Brown's getting a visit from police and child services as part of an investigation into the alleged into the uh, alleged gun incident at his house. TMZ learned. Law enforcement law enforcement sources tell us DCFS went to Chris's house Thursday afternoon to check on his daughter, royalty's well-being. We're told this two-year-old is at the house right now. LAPD is accompanying the DCFS investigator. Our our sources connected to Chris tell us they believe Nia Guzman, royalty's mother, filed a complaint against him after Bailey Curran claimed Brown pulled a gun on her. 
Chris was booked for assault with a deadly weapon matter, but the DA has yet to file any charges against him. Um, I, I just want to mention to people that uh, when a social worker or the police uh, come to your home to investigate a child abuse report, um, you don't have to let the social worker or the police into your home. That's right. You don't have to let them into your home. You don't have to talk to them. Now, if they go get a warrant to inspect or talk to your children or to take your children away from you temporarily, um, you do have to let them in the home. But that's a very significant difference because if they come to your house without a warrant, that gives you time to get a lawyer or to at least speak to a lawyer about what uh, you should or should not do. The social worker and the police can never get a warrant to make you talk to them. All right, so you never have to talk to the social worker. And please do not think that you're going to out talk a social worker. Social workers are trained investigators. They do this day in and day out. And allegations have been made that a lot of these social workers um, do not tell the truth, that they stretch you know, uh, the facts, or they exaggerate. Now, I'm not saying every social worker does that. I want to be clear. There are good social workers in the world, but these are allegations that hundreds of people, if not thousands, have told me over the years of my practice in this area. So as Mr. Brown did, you can turn away the police and turn away DCFS and make them go get a warrant. Now, they can get a warrant to enter your house. They can get a warrant to inspect your premises. They can get a warrant to speak and in, speak to and in, uh, inspect your child for injuries. They cannot get a warrant to speak to you. And even if they're in your house, you do not have to speak to them. I recently advised someone when the police came there with DCFS and they had a warrant, I told them, you know, just to wait outside, to don't get involved in any conversations with the police or with the social workers um, because it's not necessary. And if you think or if you're made to feel that you're not going to or they're going to use that against you or that it's some sign of admission that there is something wrong, it is not. It is not that way in the law, so don't think that you have to speak to the social workers or the um, police about some type of alleged child abuse. Now, one last thing um, I'm reading from uh, USA Today online magazine. Brad Pitt is, has been accused of child abuse and is under investigation. That's according to a September 22nd, 2016 online article uh, at usatoday.com. In an article by Kim, and I can't pronounce her last name, but it's spelled H-J-E-L-M-G-A-A-R-D, and Laura Blas, Brad Pitt is, in, is being investigated after being accused of verbal and physical abuse against his children. Los Angeles County Department of Children and Family Services spokesman Armand Montiel told USA Today, by law, the agency cannot confirm or deny the investigations. But a source close to Pitt, who is not authorized to speak publicly, or who was not authorized to speak publicly, told USA Today that Pitt is taking the matter, quote, very seriously and is fully cooperating, unquote. 
The claims are greatly exaggerated or fabricated, the source said, but he'll always do whatever is best for his kids. Despite being on the receiving end of the onslaught of allegation, he remains focused on doing whatever is best for the children. TMZ says the case was referred over to the FBI on Thursday due to the fact that the alleged incident happened in the air while the family was on a plane from France last week, last Wednesday. The FBI is continuing to gather facts and will evaluate whether an investigation at the federal level will be pursued. FBI spokesman Laura Emilier said in a statement emailed to USA Today. In divorce documents, Jolie listed the couple's date of separation as the following day, September 15th. And People.com reports that Pitt is accused of getting verbally abusive with one of the couple's kids, as well as getting physical while the family was on their private plane. People and TMZ both note that Jolie and at least some of the couple's, some of the couple's other children were present at the time. Pitt and Jolie have six children, Maddox 15, Pax 12, Zahara 11, Silo, or Silo 10, and twins who are eight years old. Um, I'm not sure, you know, whether these allegations are true or false. Um, just as a general comment, I would suggest that Mr. Pitt only talk with police and federal authorities and DCFS social workers uh, with the assistance of his attorney being present. I'm going to take another call right now from area code 831 ending in 77. Good morning. Hello. We're on with attorney Vincent Davis. Hello. Yeah, good morning, Mr. Davis. Thank you for taking you, my call. Sure. Did you have a story to tell us or questions to ask? Well, I had a few questions, and my story is I'm um, currently in the preliminary stage of these accusations. They're completely false, and they basically have to do with what was allegedly said around the children, not anything physically done or of that nature. Also, this is going; these accusations are occurring at the very same time during a high-conflict divorce case um, really involving visitation and custody issues, where even last year I had to file a pleading of contempt of court by the the mother for not giving proper access to the children and visiting uh, visiting with them. And recently these accusations allegedly have come from the children of what I supposedly said, which they're not true. And we haven't yet heard from the children directly. What I mean they is the court and even me and um, and also, I haven't been. So my question is this. Uh, so that's this the the nut the the little small part of it. And to add to that too, which is very unusual about this, is that they're relatively young children, uh, seven and nine. And uh, one of them has symptoms of autism. And I found out from the principal that this child, I won't say which one, but this child who is my child, has made accusations against adults prior, and the principal determined that they were unsubstantiated. One of them was a physical hitting of the child by a teacher, is what this my own child told me a couple of times. Um, 
and also that one of the bus drivers was harassing and encouraging physical violence against the child by other kids on, on my child. And the, the bus driver herself came into the principal's office and said, these accusations are not true or the complaints from the child. And then the principal said that she personally investigated the issue of the teacher hitting him. And she said that those are not, uh, were, were found to not be substantiated. And I've also, and when I was initially accused of these really strange accusations, uh, it happened over several months where I found out later in the preliminary exam, I know I'm skipping around a little bit, but I'm sorry about that. Um, for example, on the preliminary exam, it was determined the, the, the CPS worker acknowledged that he questioned the children multiple times so many times that he couldn't even keep he couldn't even give a number of how many times he questioned them. He also couldn't give any duration of time that he talked to them. And um, so I'm in a really odd situation. The principal also gave testimony in the preliminary exam of these unsubstantiated reports by this child, and that's primarily where the most of the accusations are coming from. This child, and and I know for a fact that the the mother in this case has been saying really negative things about the father. And even to the point, I'll give you an example. <clears throat> She's told the children that they should not tell anybody, that they should not tell her or anyone else if they're hurt or hit, unless they're bleeding or almost dying. And they, and they were also told if they tell anybody, then they're a tattletale. They also, the mother was living with a live-in boyfriend for a very long time and is referring to that live-in boyfriend as being their dad. So, and she, this mother also is, is actually disabled, officially disabled due to mental illness. And, and so what's happening quite a bit is there, there seems to be possible problems of parental alienation or pathological alienation. And uh, this has also been addressed to the court. But right now, the court is really giving a green light to the CPS worker and also the other lawyers in the case, one of them being the, the lawyer for the children, who seems to be really co, uh, colluding with the mother in this case. And, and then I'm, I'm, I'm being the father and at a very um, disadvantaged type position where all these crazy accusations where there's nothing proven and we when there's see we see inconsistencies with the children and and we haven't even heard directly from the from the children at least you know not in the courtroom i mean but the children have made many complaints to me indirectly and directly and they seem to be very hesitant of speaking out to their own mother and at least to her but they're they're bringing certain concerns to me in a, in a roundabout way and so right now I'm in a very uh, difficult situation. And they've even, um, beyond the accusations uh, of supposedly what the children have said, the, the the CPS worker also said that my house was messy. And that's another reason that I shouldn't, you know, I have to do these certain things before I can freely see my children. So so that's the, the main well, story. Have, my question, I'm sorry, go ahead. Do you have a juvenile court case or a family law court case that is going on right now? It's I guess it's a family court case where they're trying to restrict my rights as a parent or 
What uh, what state are you in? Michigan. Okay. So um, I don't know, you know, how the laws in Michigan, but if you were in California, there are two distinct different courts. One is the family law court where you, you know, argue about custody and visitation and child support. And then there is the juvenile court in California where there have been allegations of abuse made um, and social right. workers get involved and file allegations. Yes, yes. And that, that is the case here, too. And um, technically, I was already in family court due to my pleading against the mother. Of not, she insisted upon supervised visits. Uh, she wasn't really following the court order or the related statutes involved with visitations. And, she, and so I filed my pleading, but it, I've never had one open hearing on that, even though I filed it last year in fall. And, and with this recent accusations coming in March, that's also a separate case, but they're sort of overlapping. And right now, the assumption are, are that I'm guilty of saying things around my children that are inappropriate. And, and it's just a bizarre scenario. And right now, what, what's really upsetting to me is that the this, this CPS worker who's made these accusations and petitioned to the court is also given authorization to approve visits or deny visits to me with my own children and also is allowed to oversee my visits. So that's an obvious conflict of interest in my point of view. And also the CPS worker continues to harangue me and tries to get me involved in a conversation and accuses me of further things. And uh, he wants me to respond to everything he says. And like I've told him and his attorney numerous times, I don't want him to approach me. I don't want him to talk to me. I only want to talk to the attorney that represents the CPS worker. But they're saying, well, you have to talk to him to get you to see your own children. And I said, well, I really don't want to because, you know, there's too many problems. And he keeps on harassing me, basically, even before I'm getting ready to see my own children. Are you represented by an attorney in Michigan? No, I am not. Is there a possibility um, that you can talk to one for a perhaps free or low-cost consultation and perhaps even hire an attorney? Because what you're telling me cries out for you to get some experienced legal help before you try to uh, battle these people on your own. Well, I agree, but unfortunately, all the attorneys, it's a sort of a small town that I'm located and they're only giving me very slim advice. Some of them think the the, the, the accusations are ludicrous and it's not going to stand up. But then, you know, they of course, they need to get paid for what they do. And, and no one has given me in-depth instructions. And also, um, they're supposed to, under the law in Michigan, they're supposed to appoint me an attorney when you don't have necessary funds. And they're not, they're not even following the law. The, the, the referee and the judge are not even following the law in that regard. And I've said that in court. Wait a minute. This, this law says, you know, I'm supposed to get an attorney. And I'm not, I don't have anyone. And uh, you've brought that to the judge's attention? Yes, in writing as well as directly in court. And part of the reason I'm losing so much money is because I have hired attorneys in the past. And I had an attorney for the divorce case and all my and, and by the way, because of these accusations, they were trying criminal charges on me at first and, and, and held me in jail for over a week, which caused me to lose a job. 
So they're causing the tremendous economic uh, hardship because of these false accusations. So, you know, now you're bringing up issues that uh, might involve a violation of your civil rights protected uh, under the federal constitution and probably, you know, I'm not a Michigan lawyer, but probably under Michigan's constitution. What I would suggest that you go, you, you call information for the, you know, biggest, the nearest metropolitan area uh, where you are and ask for the bar association in that area. And when you call the bar association, you want to ask them to get you to uh, have consultations free or at low cost uh, for civil rights attorneys and or attorneys who practice in juvenile or family law. Um, that's something that I think you should do first thing Monday. Okay. All right. I mean, I, I, I think to some extent I was – right. Yeah. I was – I have been doing a lot of uh, – but of of some nature of that. But but, you know, there's no obligation for a lawyer to work for free. And right now I'm just devastated with the money. And I, I, I guess some of my more direct questions are, and I like what you said, that you're not you've basically indicated that you're not required to have a conversation with a CPS worker. Well, they're they're implying that I have to work with a CPS worker. They're not saying it outright, but the CPS worker is implying that I have to work with him. The court, the referee is more or less implying that I better start getting along with him. But I haven't even gone to trial. I'm not even started trial yet. And what I understand under case law is that you're not supposed to get interfere with you and the child until it's been adjudicated that you're an unfit parent. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now that that advice I gave to you know the listeners a few moments ago about not being required to talk, that was for people who live in California because I'm licensed only in California. I don't know what the law is in Michigan. So there may be a Michigan statute that requires you to do that. Now, there may not be, um, but that's something where you have to talk to and get a free consultation or a low-cost consultation with someone uh, who practices in your area or you know one of the nearby big cities in your area. But this is, this is going to be crucial, I think, to how you should um, proceed in the and, and you know, um, it, it's something that you can do very for free or very cheaply. Um, and, and, you know, getting these free consultations. But you know, and I'm sorry I can't um, give you any further legal advice because I'm just not licensed in. in, in <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, well, thank you. I mean, I think to to some extent, I think this really falls on civil rights and, and constitutional rights. Yes, <laughs> which are still valid yes. in Michigan. And, and what what and what and I found case law in Michigan courts, by the way, that have punished lower courts for not providing an attorney. And I even I sort of said it before I in the court before I even found out this case law. It's a shall you shall appoint an attorney. And I pointed that out mm-hmm. to the to the referee. This is not a discretion thing for the court. It's you shall. And by the way, when I found the case law, I haven't said this in court, but I have put in a written pleading. The case law says, hey, this is a law. This is a court rule. There's no discretion allowed. And also, the, the court's also supposed to, at the beginning of every hearing, supposed to ask the parent, do you need an attorney? Can you afford an attorney? They're not doing that either. So what, what's scaring me to death is that the referees and the judges are not actually following the law. 
And I, I'm in a, this is a horrible situation. Not only are their accusations false, they have an attorney with CPS. They have an att- attorney for the children who are, who are obviously working together. And I'm being a, um, presumed as guilty. And I have no attorney. And the court's not even following the law or the court rule. So it's like I'm, it's like I'm, I'm, I'm complete, completely condemned for e- and I, and also in preliminary exam, I was not even allowed to give my full testimony, and not allowed to even describe all the evidence that I had to show. So I'm even being denied to even describe what is important to show that these are not valid accusations. Sir, will you promise me you will look for that? Uh free or low-cost consultation on Monday? Yes, yes. I mean, I've been doing all of that, but I'm not, getting any, I'm not getting any major breakthroughs with any of the lawyers. And by the way, this, this, this state is one of the more corrupt states. Uh, for example, the public of, of, of the Center for Public Integrity, which is an a, a investigating journalist firm, nonprofit, it's also won a Pulitzer Prize. They ranked Michigan dead last in transparency integrity in 2015 for overall government functions. This is one of the most corrupt states in the entire nation. You know, I had heard I'd heard that before, but I think you're, um, we're gonna have to start with you one step at a time, and that's by you consulting someone in a nearby big uh, county or big city so that you can get the consultation that you need and point you in the right direction. Sir, I wish you luck yes, with your yes, um, legal thank you, battle. Thank you. And thank you, thank, thank you for calling. Yes. Thank you. All right. We're running out of time this morning. I'm going to try to take one more call. It's area code 949 ending in 29. Good morning. You're on with attorney Vincent Davis. Good morning, Mr. Davis. Good morning. Did you call in to have tell us a quick story or a quick question? I want, if possible, I'd like to share my story with you guys. Well, please do. Go ahead. Okay. I just wanted to share that um, things have worked out the way that they have in a positive way um, for the safety of my kids due to your firm and you. Um, I wanted to share with everybody that to not lose hope if they need to get any, to seek any legal advice for their kids. Obviously, we all wish to be able to and do our best to do so, but when it comes to matters of our kids and we feel like we can't do it, we can um, with the blessing of people like you. In my incident, I was dealing with my ex-husband who was dating a girl at the time. Um, my son has special needs, and I got a phone call about two years ago now where they asked me, well, I apologize, where she asked me to, uh, she let me know that my son with special needs had accused me of hurting my son in addition to also hurting his sister on top of that if he shared that with anybody that he would continue to get hurt. It was all lies. Um, My son's syndrome, the second I heard that, I knew it couldn't be right. It just didn't make sense, but I didn't question it. 
I broke down and I let this supposed social worker know that I would do anything and everything that they needed me to do um, and to comply with them. Um, and I did. And I told her straight away that none of it is true. And in the end, she said, well, you have two options. Either you, um, I'll send the police over to pick up your kids or you hand them over to their father for the duration of this investigation. And as a parent, you know, being completely blindsided by something like this and knowing that kids are kids, I told her I don't want any police involved. I would never put them through that. Um, I will contact their father and ask him to to meet me and for him to have them. At the time, I didn't realize the caliber of the malicious actions that I was about to go through for the next five, almost six months. Um, When this happened, I was asked to hand over my kids to take parenting classes, anger management classes, sign over about $8,000, about $4,000 in my son's SSI money, and to terminate the garnishing of my ex-husband's wages, all of which I did every single thing asked of me. The process got uglier and uglier with my kids. Um, they were, I was literally being alienated, and the father, the girlfriend, and the mother had full control um, of my kids when I spoke to them, if I spoke to them, manipulating my kids to not wanting to talk to me other than a very, uh, a very quick hello, love you, mom, and goodbye. Long story short, we found out six months later that it was all a fraud. There was no social worker by that name, never existed, and there was no case. Um, I contacted Vince's law firm, and since then, um, everything just turned straight around. Um, We were able to pick up my kids, and ever since then, there's been criminal uh, criminal arrests have been made, but I could never have done it without the help of, of you, Mr. Davis, and your firm. Your staff is amazing, and you give parents like me light at the end of the tunnel. Um, and my kids have been thriving. Most importantly, my kids are doing amazing from academically to from my son physically with his health with his syndrome, and they're shining, and I give that credit fully to you guys. Um, I really think you guys go in to fight the good fight and to do what's truly best and make things right, um, which is not an easy task through through the uh, court system. Um, well, thank you. Well, I want to thank you for I want to thank you for your call this morning, and I just want to make sure the listeners are clear. In your case, your ex-husband, who was losing in family law, and his new girlfriend. Had, he had his girlfriend impersonate a social worker to take custody of your children from you. So, you know, I, in almost all of the years I had been practicing law, I have never heard of anything like that unusual case. And then the father had had the nerve enough to try to fight you three times in family law court to keep the kids. Thank you for calling, and I'll talk to everyone next week on the radio. Thank you.